0: Welcome to the Once Upon a Leader in Africa podcast with George Nuthu. We invite you to listen to influencers and opinion shapers narrating their experiences from their leadership roles in Africa, from the world of business, community development, government, corporate, social enterprise, among others. We will glean from their good bad and ugly side of their leadership journey, and be inspired to overcome adversity, to pursue success against all odds, to be a great leader, and many other lessons. Welcome to the podcast, and here's George Nudu. Hello, Peter.
1: How are you? Fine, thank you, George. How are you doing? Fine, fine. Thank you for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast, Karibu Sara. Asante Sana, thank you for having me. First, just to begin with, congratulations of being uh, on the list of the top 40 under 40. Asante Sana,
2: thank you. It means a lot. Yeah, so tell me, what does it mean to you? You know, sometimes people don't understand, no matter how big or small recognition is, It's Mm -hmm. an encouragement. It's a stamp, Mm -hmm. not just to you, but also the people you lead. Yes. You know, when the people you lead see you're winning awards, you're being acknowledged by good institutions, it also motivates them. So it's good. It's a good thing.
1: Wow, congratulations. Definitely. It's quite a good recognition from a reputable organization. So once again, congratulations. So I just So... What made you win this? Maybe explain to us uh, uh, how come you got on the list. I'm just curious.
2: (laughs) Even myself, I don't know. I think (laughs) a few people maybe nominated me, sent in Mm -hmm. uh, my details. They applied. And, yeah, I think just from the information that was given, and then I think when they did the vetting and the judging, they also came to interview me. Mm -hmm. They saw, you know, Impact speaks. So I think it was the people who put my name forward and then after the vetting, the impact for itself spoke. Oh, okay. So tell us what what
1: impact you're making, Peter.
2: My impact is quite diverse. Uh, Mm -hmm. I deal with people and nature. I deal with policy and grassroots action. So Mm -hmm. from the boardroom to the grassroots, from the grassroots to the international conferences, from policy to actual tangible impact, uh, from training and capacity building young people to empowering and equipping youth in communities, women, uh, from saving wildlife like the elephant and the giraffe from extinction to restoring habitats. So it's quite diverse. That's quite diverse.
1: Okay, so what, what do you do and what's the name of the organization?
2: So I wear many hats, but Mm -hmm. the main one is called Stand Up Shout Out, World Leaders of Today. And that's an international non-government organization dealing with good governance, poverty reduction, conservation, youth inclusion, uh, youth empowerment, youth engagement, community development, and so on. And yeah, I'm the CEO and founder. I also lead different Pan-African movements and networks and associations. I also work uh, with different tourism uh, entities and also doing a lot of consultancy in terms of marketing, brand image, things like that. And then also I'm on the board of Kenya Wildlife Service as the youngest uh, trustee in the history of the service. How young are you? You say you're the youngest. Uh, I turned 31.
1: This oh, year. wow. That, that's young. That's young. Okay. Congratulations. So, you lead a lot. So, tell us uh, where did this leading experience begin?
2: It began in preschool. <laughs> it began in preschool. You know, uh, I had I had uh, one of my best friends. He's called William in preschool, and he was he was being bullied. And I stood up for him. And when I stood up for him, I realized, oh wow, I have power, I have a voice. I can do something, I can protect people, I can. So it started in preschool from just that one time, I remember he was pushed and he cut his eye, the top of his eyebrow. And I got so angry and I was like, you can't do this. I've been seeing you're bullying my best friend, but now it's becoming too much, you need to stop. And they stopped and I was like, oh wow. This is interesting. Okay, this 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 could be something. So I think it came from there. That's that's the start. Preschool a all start. the way to preschool. Yeah. Then from there, just mm-hmm. throughout my primary and high school, and just leading whether it's in sports, whether it's in being a prefect, a deputy head boy. Yeah. So it seems leadership has been part and parcel of your life. Yes, for a very long time. And uh, I can say leadership can be, you can be a good leader and a bad leader, or you can be a good leader at doing bad things. Yeah.
1: Wow. Interesting. Interesting definition. So for you, what are the things that you have seen uh, you are strong in as a leader that has brought you to where you are today?
2: I think I'm very observant. Observant in terms of, people observant in terms of trends, observant in terms of the space I'm in, observant in terms of which direction a conversation is going. So that key observant, even someone used to call me eagle Eye. So that key observant and that key attention to detail has, has worked a lot to help me be ahead of maybe something is coming and I'm able to manage it. So that's number one. Number two, I think I can manage people well, I'm a good manager. And so I'm able to divide work, divide tasks, bring people together uh, and motivate them to achieve a goal. Uh, And then number three, I think I invest in people. So I know their weaknesses and strengths. I know how to place them, position them. And that also helps in terms of achieving goals. And last but not least, I, I can say many, but I'll just say last but not least vision. Uh, I know what I want, I see beyond where I am, and I always have a vision, I always have, I know what I want, I'm very decisive, and I, and I want, and I see beyond, beyond even where I am. you say said that so well, and I'm just wondering with, you know, just explaining
1: what you do, the diversity is so wide, uh, how have you been able to just manage that diversity in what you do?
2: So the diversity comes from my upbringing in primary and high school, engaging from academics to sports, to music, uh, to the environment, to community service. All these things wrapped up in one to theater allowed me to have an appetite for diversity. And so that appetite for diversity alongside learning quickly. So I learned very quickly. You put me in a class about anything, I'll walk out there almost an expert. And so that appetite for doing different types of things and having now the experience and skill set, and then that quick to learn and then managing people well brought the opportunity to create a space that is diverse. And also, the need of my number one target is youth and community. And a young person is diverse himself herself so offering services that are diverse is is a niche that allows young people to feel wow there's something for me in this organization there's something for me in this movement because they deal with multiple uh sectors and i can find a space that i belong in
1: thank you thank you for sharing that and more particularly i i'm just quite uh curious about uh leadership as a youth or in the youth uh, space. Uh, just talk to us uh, about you. You're young, you're still a youth and you are leading. You have been recognized for what you are doing. Uh, that's why you end up on that list. So how's the, the experience for you just leading youth and being a youth leader?
2: I can tell you it's been a very diverse experience. Uh, it's been very complex. I remember one time, there's two stories that def- define me as a youth leader. There's one time I was organizing an uh, event for uh, one of the CESs, and I was the host of the event, I was the owner of the event, I was sitting at the dais, and when I sat down at the dais, there was an elderly or an older gentleman sat there as well. The moment I sat down, he said, Kijana, let's match. And and I was like, okay, okay, um, okay. This must be God testing me because if I start now puffing my chest and telling him who I am, maybe it will not be the right thing. So I just went, got him water, came back, sat down next to him. He must be wondering why am I sitting next to him. And then the CS starts to address as the keynote address when it reaches there, and then he starts talking about Peter Moll, and starts pointing at me and saying, Peter Moll, you're doing great work, Peter Moll. This Peter Moll, that, and the. Elderly or older man is just like, oh, my gosh, this guy sitting next to me is the one that CS is talking about. So humility, humility has been a story of the journey and learning to balance, not being too humble. You need to balance between being cocky and humble, having confidence and knowing when to, be, uh, to have humility. So that's one side of the story. And I think the other side of the story is the power of... I wouldn't say upsetting, but the power of disrupting, being a disruptor, where people just want to shangar. They don't believe it. They don't believe it is you. They even look at you. They may judge you. Then they hear you speak. They say, wow. They look at you. They may judge you. Then they they see what you're doing. They say, wow. And so they hear how old you are. Then they see what you have done. And they say, wow or being that young on the table with ideas, with resources, with capacity, and they say, wow. So just disrupting the status quo and just you know, going up against odds, being the underdog, then being the champion. And so I can say that humility and then that disruption is the story of being a youth, my youth leadership. Wow, that's, a,
1: that's such a good response. What keeps you motivated to continue leading despite some of those uh, misunderstanding of challenges of being a youth leader?
2: Well, the funniest thing is the thing that keeps me leading is the thing that helped me start my organization. Somehow God put inside me the unequivocal, beyond measure understanding that I'm meant for more. So no matter the circumstance, whether I am in poverty or richness, whether I am homeless or whatever, whether I have food or no food, whether I am in despair or with hope, he has put inside me that, that conviction that you are meant for more. Ushijali, don't worry. Whatever it is where you are now, go to be patient. And waiting is not waiting, doing nothing, do something. Help finds you on the way. So that conviction that I'm meant for more. Something tells me this is not it. Nabado, and there's still more yeah so it's that is it
1: that is it there is still more definitely yeah. i like that you mentioned a few things about uh just the challenge of being a youth leader what more can you say about challenges that you have faced as you have uh, founded your organization and just <sighs> breaking out to be successful, yeah. what are the
2: challenges you have? You know, it's it's so interesting. The challenges along the way change. Some remain the same. Some change drastically. At the beginning, there's the doubt in who is this person and are they serious? Can they really do what they're saying they're doing, etc.? They're just ideas. It's just a a young man with a loud voice and a lot of things to say. And then when you start doing things, the challenges become different you need resources you need uh expertise you need know-how you need xyz then when it's to do with youth obviously parents are challenged because parents are saying what are you doing with this guy you're still on the way then once you have a track record of impact once you have done things the challenges change The challenges become, okay, this young guy wants our job. This young guy wants our space. This young guy is becoming a threat. This young guy, blah, blah, blah. So you you went from someone saying you can't do anything to now, oh, you're doing something now you want to take. It's very interesting. Challenges go from people not believing in your capacity to people being threatened by your capacity. And that that is the most interesting thing I've ever found. So how do you respond to those challenges? to keep you going. The one thing that you always have to do is serve your gift, be useful. You know, young people need to stop asking for opportunity, but show how they are the opportunity. Young people need to stop asking for resources, but show how they are a resource. Because once you show you are useful, resources will come. Once you show what you're capable of, resources will come. So when people are threatened by you not having capacity, do small things, take small steps. Show the capacity you have, and people will scale. And then when people are threatened by the capacity you do have, you will find those who are big enough in vision, big enough in resources to accommodate your dreams that are larger than life, accommodate you who are larger than life. Don't settle. There's always going to be people who find you as a competitor. Those people are at your level. That is why you need to find people who are not at your level, who will see you as an asset. And that is what i always fight african youth were the biggest asset in africa not a problem if anyone sees us as problems it means they don't know how to empower us or to help us they can't wrap their head around us but there are people out there who can
1: who are some of these people who believed in you and helped you get to where you are
2: it was a long time before before people believed but Judy Wahungu, who is the former Minister of Natural Resources and Water, and then now ambassador, just finished her role as ambassador in France and other European countries. So Judy Wahungu really held my hand. I can say a conservation tourism company founder called Annabella also held my hand. She watched me for a long time, from 2013 to 2018. And when I went to China for some conservation-related activities, she said, what? You have gone all the way to China. No, no, no. I think it's time I I step in and help you because I've just been watching you grow, but now I need to help. I think there are others, but those are the most significant. I can tell you it's been a difficult journey because when you're doing something that has not been done the way you're doing and you're a disruptor and you're going against odds, like I say, people are hesitant. So tell us,
1: what is one thing that you did in a disruptive way and different?
2: One thing I did in a disruptive way, I can say, is youth inclusion in conservation in terms of protected areas. I forced the hand of government by mobilizing thousands of youth to march with government. So you know most people march against government. So with a few other partners, I led a march for five years straight, mobilizing from 2014 to 2019, mobilizing minimum 3,000 youth. And we marched from the museum to Kenya Wildlife Service. And there was one time recently in 2019, before COVID, we had 5,000 plus and we had Najib Balala there. And he was supposed to only walk from the museum to the CBD. But because he had three to 5,000 youth behind him, He could not enter his vehicle. He was so encouraged and impressed that he said, I have to walk all the way to Kenya Wildlife Service. The disruption here is that youth, there are multiple thousands of youth, not just me, thousands of youth who want to help. Thousands of youth who are ready youth for conservation and leadership. And this changed the whole narrative that youth are problems and they don't care about wildlife and they only want to plant trees, no this showed, it disrupted the status quo. Talk to us
1: more about just the youth and what they want.
2: So I deal with many different youth from many different uh, demographics, uh, different cultures, different social economic classes. So youth want different things in those aspects. But generally, if I could generalize it, I would say in three things. Youth want access, access to do things and access to be heard. So whether it's business, whether it's social investment, whether it is conservation, they want access Their ideas. Where can I get my ideas heard? I have so many ideas. I need a platform to be heard. I have so many things I want to talk about. If you ever notice in these conferences or places and a young person stands up to speak forever, it's because they've never had a chance to speak. So they want that. And then access in terms of doing things, they want to have platforms and opportunities, Kujituma, like Doing good is harder than doing bad, and that's one of the reasons I started my organization in 2013 when I was 20 because doing good was so hard for people, but doing bad was so easy. At that time in 2013, it was easier to get marijuana at your doorstep delivered by a border border, but you could not get milk and bread. That was before Jumia, Bolt, Nini Nini, you understand? So, doing bad was so easy, but doing good was so hard, and so youth want access to apply themselves and do good so that's number one number two youth want recognition so many young people give up doing the good they're doing whether it's in business entrepreneurship social whatever it is they give up because no one sees them no one sees them no one says well done keep it up i see you here's a certificate here's an award so we need more awards we need more awards and we need more access to awards because Even the awards that are there and people to apply or to be nominated, the access is limited. So we need more recognition for young people in different ways. And then last but not least, of course, resources. Resources could be technical, resources could be in-kind, resources could be training, resources could be money. I'm just trying
1: to think aloud, you know, what has made you so different from other youth? And it's true, you know what you're saying we hear more negative things about the youth than positive. But talking with you here, I'm, I'm, I'm just sensing such positivity in just <laughs> your approach to issues and just looking at things in a different way and, and in a very mature and very progressive way. What makes you so different from the youth, that, the stereotype youth that is who we hear today, they feel entitled, they they are spoiled, uh,
2: they, they're lazy, what What's the difference, Peter? Okay, I'll say the difference is three things. One is what you've been exposed to. I always say God puts me through the things he's put me through so I can be empathetic, so I can understand. So knowing poverty, yet knowing wealth. Knowing hard times, yet knowing good times. So that background, that upbringing, allows you to be a very holistic human being because you've tasted all worlds and every single aspect. So that brings a humility and understanding and a grounding that many individuals, when they only know one side, whether it is poverty or wealth, if it's wealth, maybe you're entitled. If it's poverty, maybe you're frustrated and angry and animosity. Who knows? So that's number one. Number two, I told you, is that conviction. That self-awareness and self-drive and that understanding that there is more, more for you more to you, more within you, that you have abundance mentality and not scarcity mentality, that you're an asset, you have something to offer. And then last but not least, I always say, I am the biggest asset in the world. The only difference between me and you is that you haven't realized that you are too. So is that realization, that mentality?
1: I believe, as you said, you know, you you focus your work among the youth. And I believe you you share what you've shared with us today, with them. What has been the response of your message to the youth and to you know help them see what you're seeing?
2: Uh, it's been great. I wish I wish I had bigger platforms and bigger stages and bigger opportunities to share what I'm saying. But with the few hundred or thousands that I've interacted with over my years, Everyone always says you're a great motivator. You have so much knowledge, so much wisdom, so much gems to drop and give, so much great mentorship, uh, great, uh, like I said, you observe and you give the tools needed to unpack. So, yeah, so it's been, it's been very fulfilling, uh, helping young people and community and women find their selves. And I always say I'm not here to tell you to be me. I'm here to help you be the best you can be. So it's it's encouraging to say the least when people say, oh wow, you really changed my life. In your leadership journey, what has been one of the most
1: memorable experience or activity you've engaged in?
2: That's a hard one because I can't say there's, there's one. I think I can just maybe let me speak of a recent one. So there's a community in Amboseli uh, ecosystem they live near the park, and it's a community of, like, 400 women. And these 400 women are part of a larger community. And so we were doing some improved livelihoods uh, projects in that area. And every time we did, like, three. So every time we were launching, there were only, like, 50 men and one woman. And so we are like, why, why is there 50 men and one, one woman? And then in one of the last launches, one of the women approached a colleague of mine and said, you know, we're being stepped on, we don't have a voice, please help us. So the next time now we engage with the community, uh, I told the, the leaders of that community, I want the women to come and sing. So obviously I didn't say, I didn't tell them I want the women to, to come and, no, I said, I want them to come and sing. And we're launching this, uh, it was a three-cubicle three, three cubicle toilet uh, facility for the community to improve hygiene. So I want us to have the women come and sing, and we, we thank God, blah, blah, blah. So now they called the women. Now where the, the health facility was being made, only a few women came. But now when we went to the Boma, the 400 women were there. Now, when I saw these 400 women and they they were welcoming us, I said, after this community meeting, I want to meet the women by themselves. I don't want anyone else. So now the men were really suspicious, like, why do you want to meet our women by ourselves? But obviously, they're not going to say no. So now the men, at the end of the meeting and everything, the men go, I'm left with the 400 women. And I just spoke to them gave them a few words of encouragement, ETC, and somehow, somewhere, that unlocked something in them. And the whole narrative of the women in that area changed. And now they say, and they attribute to that just one meeting, how they are represented, how they are seen, their power and voice in that community is recognized. It is acknowledged. And how they have been now empowered to do more and be more. And how from the cultural tourism village and all these things, they're now leading and pushing the men and not being quiet, and not being allowing to be pushed aside. And they even did a huge festival for 40 clients that I brought, tourism clients. And they really impressed. And the, the clients that they've never seen anything like this, even is giving the Mara a run for the money. And they attributed it just to that one meeting. So I can say that is the most recent memory of leadership, just unlocking oppressed people to find their value. Talking about, you know, you mentioned about cultural tourism and
1: and I think you had also talked about, you address cultural things. Talk to us a bit about just what you've learned about some of our cultures and what we need to do to, even like these women, you know, release women to be who they really need to be, or even the youth, because I think the challenge really about the youth and the way they are seen, I mean, what you talked about, that guy asking you, young man, get me water. It's a cultural thing, you know. Elders always send the the younger men. So for you, what are the things that you have focused on or needed to address to make culture more positive than negative?
2: Culture is a beautiful mystery and culture changes. Culture changes by being a disruptor, you know? And to be honest, culture changes when there is willingness and need to change, and when people are are made aware. So for example, in that village, after the women started being uh, leaders and being confident, and we had that uh, 40 people come for the cultural tourism. And, and the men were still fighting the women. <laughs> Even during the, the whole day of the cultural tourism, the men were still trying to be seen as the ones who are doing it, but it was the women. And at the end of it, I told the men, you know, you're lucky that the 40 people I brought enjoyed themselves thoroughly. But I could see what was happening. And if there's not going to be unity, you're not only going to squash these women, but you're going to stop your livelihood. Your children will not have school fees because the money is not going to flow in from these opportunities the women have. So you contextualize the effect of culture to their dreams because now the men know children should go to school. That already changed. That was a culture that was there before that children don't need to go to school, go herd the cattle, whatever the goats so now you attach how culture is hindering their dreams and when it contextualizes that you're not trying to change their culture because of your dream you're not trying to change their culture because of what you think you're saying are you seeing what you are doing to your dreams and your women so you make culture changes when it makes sense to people and their dreams and so with youth you just say two things one who's going to be the vision bearer when you're old and unable to do what you need to do who's going to hold the vision it is the next generation you ask them all these things you are trying to put in place which future and whose future is this for It is mine for how can you make decisions without me when i shall live in a future without you and it just starts making sense that they now need to have protégés, they need to mentor, they need to have intergenerational exchange, institutional memory, and that's how you push. You don't push youth as, oh, youth, youth, youth. You push youth as asset, asset, asset.
1: And Africa, we've got a huge asset. Definitely. Talk to us a bit about the cultural tourism you mentioned.
2: So cultural tourism is basically... So you have wildlife tourism where people go for game drives, you have adventure sports, so blah, blah, blah. So cultural tourism is basically where the local international tourism go to experience our culture, interact with our culture, whether it's to learn about herbal, traditional medicines, whether it's to learn how to make fire from a stick, whether it's to see the rich culture of the Ushanga or the rich culture of the traditional dances, or the storytelling of our ancestors, or what does it mean when an elephant goes like this and this? you know? So cultural tourism is just the richness and storytelling of our culture and our heritage displayed for people to consume. How has been the uptake of that? Let me tell you, cultural tourism is underdeveloped, it is underutilized, it is unorganized, and it has a huge potential if done well. And so the uptake is great, but the development is low, but the demand is high. Even when you go to... The reason Paris has the most visitors of tourism in in any country and city is because of their cultural tourism. What are they going to see there in Paris? Wildlife, Apana? The culture. The culture. The culture.
1: And it's true what you're saying. I, I think countries that have been able to develop that uh, attract a lot of people. You know, they've been able to harness that. And we hope that we can take advantage of that. It seems here in our country, we just focus on the wildlife and the beaches. Yet there's this potential, as you said, that just needs to be unlocked and unleashed. Unlocked, Mm
2: -hmm. unleashed, and organized. Organized, People are trying to unlock it, people are trying to unleash it, but it's not organized Okay. And hence the communities are not benefiting as much as they should. Okay. Okay. Talking about
1: the you said you've been called an eagle eye because
0: uh,
1: of the visionary. Is that a metaphor that you describe yourself with,
2: or is there another one? I have many metaphors. Okay. I have I have the sun, I have the butterfly, I have the eagle. I have the alien. I have so many different uh, metaphors, but I think I think the sun the sun is a is a good one. It mm-hmm. it's something that someone told me in 2013, and I embraced it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's really about what you're saying: this positive energy and this positive, hopeful, hope in action type of vibration and you know, being there for people, shining light on things, giving perspective, giving hope, and giving that warmth. I know you had mentioned two people
1: who are very close to you, those two ladies who worked with you as you started. What is one of the greatest uh, advice you've ever received uh, to help (laughs) you, you know, continue doing and leading your organization?
2: It's gonna be a very interesting one. The greatest advice I was I was ever told is stop growing.
1: Oh, oh wow! Uh huh. Just elaborate that. What did that? Uh, so what was in the twenty
2: nineteen, we had reached thirty nine counties, and twenty countries as an organization, and being in these thirty nine counties and twenty countries was a lot of work, but also a lot of resources resources which we didn't have so it was coming out of my pocket and etc and blah 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 so it reached a point where we were we were so vibrant that everyone wanted to open a chapter where they were and so the advice I was given is no one is paying you to do this it is you who is sending yourself to do this and I want to tell you it's okay you don't need to grow anymore If you want to grow later, it's fine, but for now you don't. And that gave me the reassurance that I was growing faster than I could manage in terms of resources, and it was bringing a strain on me. And so I needed to realize that I had done more than enough, and now it was really to solidify what I was doing, pole pole, and yeah. So yeah, so, stop green.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Interesting, stop green, wow. I can just see that in in big bold letters, you know. And
2: uh, these chapters, this organization,
1: talk to us about about your organization.
2: We deal with um, good governance, poverty reduction, conservation, youth inclusion, youth engagement, youth empowerment. And so under our youth empowerment, we set up divisions and realms. Divisions were cities or counties, and realms or countries. A division was like a CBO. So would organize youth into an organized manner. So for example, Suso Kisumu, Suso Mombasa, Suso Nairobi, ETC. So within those counties would then have a CBO within our organization. And then now these CBOs would align to the organization, but also uh, adapt to the needs of their County or city, and they would also apply to us for funding, whether it was twenty thousand, whether it's a hundred thousand, whether it was ten thousand for different uh, programs and activities. So it it was at a point where even now we have the capacity of organizing an event or an activity in twenty counties on the same day. So that's the type of capacity. So the divisions and realms are just extensions of the organization to mobilize, organize, and implement within their locality. So like a grassroots network. So did you say you
1: started this organization 10 years ago?
2: Yeah, we're now going to celebrate our 11th year next month. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Congratulations. But we went from a movement to association to an INGO. So the INGO came in 2017,
1: 2018. Peter, if you had to start all over
2: again, how would you do this
0: differently
2: very simple understanding the difference between a confident a comrade and a constituent okay what's the difference so a comrade is against what you're against once you defeat what you're against they live a constituent is for what you are for So if you're for environment and tree growing and they are also for it, they will stay with you. But if they find a shinier person or thing that they are, who is also for what they're for, they can leave. A confidant is for what you're for, against what you're for, and they're for you. Mm. So they're standing there with you. One of the hardest things to deal with as a leader is to see people come and go. And so if I had learned this earlier about the difference between the three types of people, Mm -hmm. I would be less heartbroken and more stronger. Yes, so dealing with that change, you know, Mm -hmm. being young, you're like, oh, why are they going? Why are they staying? Why, you know, you can wonder and you can think a lot, but if you really contextualize it, life, people come and go, that's how life is, and life moves on, life doesn't pause. So if I had this, ideology and understanding, then I would be able to treat people where they're at. So I wouldn't treat a comrade like a confidant and, be, and wonder why is this person gone? We've, yes, we've won this campaign against what we're against. So why are you leaving? There's another one. But Kumbe, the other one is not for them. Well said,
1: you said one of the hardest things for a leader is to see people go. What other hard things have you had to experience as a leader?
2: Letting people go on, like firing people, <laughs> um, you know. As a as a young leader, I really empathize with government and private sector employ employing people is not easy, and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't wish that type of responsibility on someone who's not ready, because you're managing someone, you're part of their livelihood, and blah blah blah. And when they don't deliver or they continue to let you down, how to let them go in a professional way and not feel stuck? For me, that was such a dilemma at the early stages of now knowing, okay, I've employed someone, they're not delivering. How do I let them go without it being an issue, and ETC? So some of these things obviously get solved if you have good mentorship. And so one of the things that I've learned a lot of the things I've done along the way without that proper mentorship. So you're young and you're doing great
1: things and you're impacting, hence the, the award you got. In terms of legacy, what legacy are you building and do you want to leave behind?
2: At this moment in time, uh, I only have two that I would put in mind, but I really don't think I have that one that I'm really solidified on. So the two right now I would say is, Number one, I want to be known as the person who helped structure youth, meaningful youth engagement and inclusion that will complement the efforts of government and country for our goals. So how do we position young people in a strategic, structured, respectful, dignified way that allows them to add value to our goals? Because you can't have this biggest resource, this biggest asset, these biggest numbers and don't make them count. So I want to help make the youth number count and also give that meaningful engagement, structured meaningful engagement, first in the conservation industry, and then move from there. But it will become a best practice that, when we talk about youth engagement and inclusion, people will be like, oh, Peter Moore really helped create a a good algorithm and uh, approach. Then number two is to redefine community relationship with society and to really show that whether it is a water tower, whether it is a beach, whether it is a wildlife park, uh, whether it is a forest, that communities play the biggest role in shaping our future. Because all these resources bring clean air, clean water, food security, and a stable climate. And it's the communities who are living inside or around these resources that are safeguarded. If they decided one day to really destroy it, they would. And so I want to really bring the narrative of, you dignify a community and they will protect this nature, this habitat, this wildlife. With the dignity, the simplest type of dignity, the simplest type of empowerment and positioning, they will be the biggest guardians and custodians. And so bringing this ideology that you don't need billions you just need to listen to co-create, co-manage, co-implement, benefit share, and we'll have a sustainable future.
1: Oh, Peter, you're in and I've just said amen to that.
2: <laughs>
1: that was really good. So Thank you've you. given us your story, and maybe once again, asking, what's the moral of your leadership story, Peter?
2: Number one is to serve your gift. Serving your gift is what opens all doors and opportunities. Because when you serve your gift, you get. In giving, you receive, not in receiving. So stop going places and asking. Go places and offer. And in offering, you will get. Number two is the aspect of being you. Be authentic, apologetically, because the seat and opportunity that is there is for you. But if you jifanya or jificha and you be trying to hide and pretend That's it will disappear. We we were created for a reason. You were created to bring your perspective, your talent, your voice, not your voice that is pretending to be somebody else, not your talent that is trying to mimic mimic someone else. There's a reason you're created and you need to know that is your purpose. And last but not least, be more, do more, and you shall sow. In wanting to improve yourself, in wanting to offer more and do more, you will so, and it is not about thinking that you are less and not adequate, no, you are more than enough, but there is still more to you, there's more to unlock, to unchain, to unlearn and relearn.
1: Abundance mentality, yeah? Exactly. As I said earlier. Yes. Okay, wow,
2: thank you, Peter. Any final thoughts? Thank you very much, uh, George, for having me. I think for me, my final words is, we all can be leaders at different levels, at different places, at different stages. Within you is everything you have ever looked for. There is nothing you lack. There is nothing that is, you will find that is outside of who is you and what is inside you. All you have to do is dare to believe in the beauty that who you are. And when you believe in that beauty, my friend, your world will change because the world is just waiting for you to soar. Thank you.
1: Thank you. So, Peter, keep sorry, keep sorry, and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much and God bless you.
0: Thank you for joining us in today's podcast. We hope you're leaving with insights that will help you live and lead better. We appreciate our sponsors, BNG Consultants Limited and BNG Center for Leadership Coaching, for keeping us on air. Bye for now. See you in our next episode.